0: Welcome everyone to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. I'm your host, Eric Leopold. Thank you for joining me this morning. On today's episode, we're going to take a look at a proposal made by Governor Wolf of Pennsylvania regarding scholarship money for higher education. But uh, before we go into that, we want to cover, of course, our Law of the Day, which is going to be related to the topic of education and debt at the same time. And the law of the day is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, that law is probably one of the most well-known and most important laws uh, in the Old Testament. And of course, if uh, those of you who are familiar with the New Testament uh, know where that uh, is mentioned also by Jesus uh, several times when he's asked about the greatest commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, Before I go into that particular law and its implications for education, I want to also mention uh, two Proverbs regarding debt. Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 5, and Proverbs 22, 7. So here's Proverbs 6. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come to the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And then here's Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Okay, now the first law mentions, of course, uh, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but then it also goes on to talk about Teaching these things to your children, and not just in one class or something like that, but all throughout the day. It's when you sit in your house, when you're walking, when you lie down, when you get up. Um, These things, these laws, uh, these doctrines, these uh, concepts need to be on your lips and transmitted and, and taught to your children on a regular basis. It's to mark everything you do as a family. And essentially, it is discipleship. It is making disciples, and this is what parents do uh, for their children, uh, regardless of what kind of parent they are. There's always there's always discipleship going on. Now, if a parent um, abdicates his or her responsibility and maybe just you know abandons the children, or 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 just puts them in front of a TV, you see someone's going to disciple the children. It's either gonna be the parents that does it, or it's gonna be someone or something else that does it. A TV show, the government, a close relative, friends. So if parents don't disciple, someone else will. Now education is discipleship. It's not just injecting facts, raw data into into a person, uh, into their mind. Okay. If you get a picture of uh of those of you who are familiar with the movie The Matrix in the movie, uh, People can learn things by basically plugging themselves into a computer network and uploading programs into their brains. So one of the main characters, uh, Neo, he is learning all these things. And and there's one scene where he says that, I know Kung Fu. Like he just learns Kung Fu because someone uploaded all of the uh, teachings to his brain directly. So he didn't have to actually learn it the old fashioned way. He just learned it by by, um, a computer upload. And, but education is not just learning raw data. It's not just uploading things into your brain. It's discipleship. And it's the responsibility, per God's word, of the parents. It's, and it's always centered upon some faith or first principles. So the discipleship that, that the Bible's talking about here is centered upon uh, the Lord is one, and you are to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the foundation for all discipleship that's to take place within the homes of the people of Israel. Now, in the New Testament we see that this is carried on. Uh, God's people are to pass on knowledge to the next generation, certainly parents to their children, but also spiritual parents uh, to their spiritual children. And in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he instructs Timothy to take the things that he has learned and to teach them to men who are able to teach others. So there's basically four generations uh, mentioned in one verse. You have Paul, first generation. He taught Timothy, second generation. And he's telling Timothy, teach these things to other men, third generation, who are able to teach others, fourth generation. So um, that's that's the premise here. And that's what Scripture says all throughout uh, regarding how, how God's people are to disciple the next generation. Now, when we talk about uh, education for, for children, um. even if parents delegate that education to other people, uh, tutors, private schools, public schools, co-op, it doesn't matter. Parents are the ultimate responsibility. Okay, so the, the, the buck stops with them. So it's not that parents have to be the ones directly doing the educating. No, they can outsource that. They can delegate that to other entities, to other people but they are the ones that are responsible for what happens, for what's going on. And education, of course, has a purpose. It's guided by the parents. In Scripture, we see education's purpose is to glorify God and to obey God's law, Okay, so to live as Christians, to live out a life of holiness and righteousness and faithfulness on this earth. It's to be good stewards of your skills, your talents, the opportunities to take dominion uh, in the name of the Lord to make disciples of all nations, right? So it's to seek to love one's neighbor and to contribute towards uh, society, and it's not to be ultimately self serving or separated, divorced from God's purposes and, and God's kingdom. Now, nothing is wrong with paying for education. Like I said, you can pay for private schools, you can pay for private tutors for your kids, you can pay for uh, college education, doctorate, master's, associates, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but any con- anytime you're spending money, you're making an investment, all right? So private school, for example, is more expensive than public school, and the parents have to weigh the investment. For Christians, the value is placed in the Christian worldview. That's the primary value. Yeah, I, I, hopefully there's also a quality improvement as well paying more for education you're going to get more better education more quality education as far as you know numbers facts dates concepts things like that but the most important thing is the christian worldview and parents have to weigh that investment it's a it's a return on investment in a sense a spiritual return uh, not really necessarily a material return and higher education follows the same principles what's the purpose of going to college. What are we, what are you going there to do? What what is it? Is it necessary to go to college to attain your goals? Does it ultimately glorify God or is it self-seeking? What's the what's the point there? So it, this is applicable not only to just, you know, the average education at college, but also to seminary. Sadly, there are churches that believe that a person must must go to seminary in order to be a pastor. Well, none of the earliest disciples and, and elders and pastors did that. I mean, the Apostle Paul was really the only one who was trained in a seminary, but the other uh, disciples were uh, non-seminary trained. So, you know, the expectations are important to keep in mind here. But again, one does not need to go to seminary to engage in in God's work as far as um, pastoral work or, or missions work or evangelism. Now, is it useful? Of course it's useful. You, getting trained is very much useful, but that could be done in other ways. It could be done in the church. The church could have its own voluntary programs that the elders and the deacons and the pastors put into place that just don't cost much at all, if anything. So there's different ways to do it. The goal the goal is to get the the training and the discipleship, but it doesn't necessarily cost money to do that. It could, but it doesn't have to. So going into debt, though, this brings us to the issue of debt, is a serious decision. Um, it's not necessarily evil, per scripture, to go into debt, but it's always a dangerous position. And, and that's where the proverb uh, comes into play. The borrower is slave to the lender. It's more of a matter of fact than whether uh, you know, how the borrower should behave or how the lender should behave. No, it's just a simple fact. If you owe the person money, if you owe someone money, they have a measure of control over you, and you're not ultimately free, okay? So going into debt is something that needs to be done carefully, very thoughtfully, and with wisdom. And that's why God actually in Scripture places limitations on how much debt you could go into. For example, on the Sabbath year, all slaves were to be set free in Israel. So basically a, a loan or a debt putting yourself into debt to somebody else could be no longer than six years, okay, for, for that uh, there. And and the year of Jubilee was the limit placed for uh, property transfers. Anyways, uh, at the end of the day, you have to be careful when you go into debt or your children go into debt for education because it's putting you at the mercy of somebody else. And that's what we're going to get into when we look at what, what the governor of Pennsylvania, what, what uh, Governor Wolf wants to do here. I bring up Governor Wolf because I'm a resident of Pennsylvania, this podcast is in Pennsylvania, and I'm very much focused on issues in Pennsylvania. And I think that this would be a good lesson and a good uh, discussion point regarding higher education and the issue of debt. So with that, let's begin.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin. And, and uh, everybody, Just welcome and thank you for being here. President Carter, Sam and Secretary Ortega, thank you very much for joining me in this Uh, What I want to talk about today is the the Nellie Bly Scholarship and when I started, actually from even before I started running for office, I have made education a priority for Pennsylvania. I'm not sure there's anything we can do that's more important. For families across Pennsylvania, as you know, one of the greatest barriers to success is the lack of access to high-quality, affordable education and that's unacceptable because that lack of access hurts all of us, it hurts each and every one of us as Pennsylvanians, regardless if we have children of college age or school age or not. An education system that fails lots of students for whatever reason is a system that fails to produce the people who will drive the future for all of us, it's gonna drive our economy, our communities, our families. Um, This is uh, true at every single level of education. When it comes to higher education, The biggest failure, the biggest barrier students and their families face is the skyrocketing cost. Our young young Pennsylvanians should be excited about the futures, and, and typically they are, but they're also very worried about student loan debt, and they should be. These worries are shared by thousands of college students and graduates all across our Commonwealth. Worries about finding the money to make tuition payments worries at sky-high student loan payments, that they're going to hold them back from home home ownership, from marriage, from having children.
0: Okay, let me pause there because he started out with his introduction. He mentioned barriers to success. Oh, and and by the way, before we go on into this, I want to point out that this was a talk given about uh, three weeks ago by Governor Wolf. So it's fairly recent, but anyways, he, he says that uh, the barriers to success – and the lack of access to affordable education is uh, an issue to Pennsylvania, and that the biggest failure or barrier is skyrocketing costs. But we need to do our due diligence and, and figure out why our costs so high. Now, he doesn't really go into why that is the case, but I've tried to do some research on it. Now, many people argue today that we need more money from the federal government, or even the state government, to keep the costs down, because the idea is that colleges, for whatever reason, cannot survive without help from the government, um, and, and and if without if without the help from the government, these colleges would just raise their raise their costs. Now, I recently read an article from the Pew Research Institute that talks about how the federal funding of higher education has actually surpassed state funding in 2010. So so basically, the idea is that the government has been giving more money every year and it actually surpassed state giving over 10 years ago. So the argument that we need more, more, more government money, um, well we've been giving more, we've been doing more. But is it working? Is it helping? Is the question. There's also an article I found from Forbes that shows... Uh, some of the reasons for the higher cost of of higher education. And it's a combination of factors. Nothing is so simple. That's just one thing. Uh, First, you have over bloated administration and bureaucracy. Uh, If a college has a office of diversity and inclusion and office of various other things, you're you're going to spend more money uh, providing buildings and office space and uh, salaries and things like that. Also, increased labor costs. So, you know, about a month ago, we looked at Governor Wolf's proposal to raise the minimum wage. Well, if you increase labor costs, if you raise the minimum wage for uh, janitors or or people who are taking care of the landscape, uh, things like that, well, then uh, you're going to end up costing colleges more money. And the only way they're going to get more money is if they increase tuition. Uh, then you have, uh, expansive and expensive campuses. You know, a lot of it is about the glitter and the glam and, and, and the, and the cool things and all the toys and modern state-of-the-art kind of stuff. Well, that that costs a lot of money to get all those things and someone's got to pay for it. Uh, too easily available subsidized loans. Again, this is where, uh, if the government backs the loan, then they're basically putting security up for the stranger. They're, they're, they're kind of breaking what the proverb says there about what you should do. And the responsibility is taken off of the student and the college and placed on the government. So no one's really held accountable uh, when this happens, when someone comes along and offers to provide the funding and to back the loan. Well, then first of all, the college accepts that money Okay, so they're kind of part of it, but there's no responsibility on their part. The bank accepts the government money, so the bank's like, hey, I'll, t- I'll take a return on investment. Now, they've kind of shuffled the risk off of themselves onto the government, um, so they're no longer responsible. And then the student, of course, is like, well, sure, yeah, I'll take it too. Um, and they shirk the responsibility and, again, put it all onto the government. So it leads to reckless and irresponsible decisions regarding finances. Then you also have unwise student expectations. Maybe some of them haven't thought through about what they want to do in life, and and they're going to go to school for some obscure uh, degree that is really not going to give them any return on investment. They're just going to go into a huge amount of debt, and they're not going to be able to really make much money in return for that. And, and again, you, you have to think these things through. There's other avenues besides going to in-person colleges. There's other ways to gain education, to gain skills, uh, to accomplish your goals. And anyways, those are just some of the reasons why uh, college costs might be so high. And I'll provide a link to those articles in the show notes. And yeah, Governor Wolf is correct. Students are excited, but also worried. They're worried about finding money and paying student loans. I understand. There's anxiety, there's worries about things like that. and uh, But the question is, why does the problem exist, and what's the solution? And we'll find out more
1: here. Worries about being one emergency expense away from bankruptcy. And even then, bankruptcy won't wipe away their student loan debt, according to the current legislation. So,
0: Actually, I want to just quickly uh, say something about that. That's a good point, and I agree there's some issue there. Uh, about how bankruptcy won't wipe away student loan debt. Now, I checked on that, and some of the articles I've read said that, in general, that is true. But there are cases where you can have student loan debt wiped out. And what I read was you have to prove that you are under an undue hardship, whether you're in poverty, and it's it's persistent poverty. You're in a situation where you can't even uh, meet your own basic needs, um, and that that's not changing anytime soon in your life. And also good faith, that you made a good faith effort to try to pay the loan, but have been unable to do so. Um, and if you can prove undue hardship, then then yes, bankruptcy can eliminate the debt. So, uh, But in general, he's right, and that is something that needs to be looked, in, looked into. We need to make sure that we're applying the same standards uh, to, to all loans and all debt if we're going to allow for that. But that's a, another discussion for another time. Let's continue.
1: Pennsylvania right now is ranked near the top of the list for average student loan debt. I think we're number two. And that's even true for students attending schools in the Pennsylvania system, state system of higher education, PASHI. Our PASHI schools provide a world-class education that helps students all across Pennsylvania realize their dreams of getting a good college education. And I can't say enough about how dedicated the faculty and the staff at Pashi schools are. Their commitment to providing a high quality education is absolutely second to none. But rising costs have affected Pashi schools, just as they've affected schools and institutions of higher learning all across the United States. The average debt for a Pennsylvania student right now is around $39,000. That's, a, that's more than a new car. That's more than a down payment on a home. And to pay this debt off in a decade, these students are going to have to direct hundreds of dollars each month to loan payments. This is money our young Pennsylvanians could be putting back into our economy. They could be putting it back into their own lives. We should not be piling tens of thousands of dollars of debt onto young Pennsylvanians' who have the drive and commitment to pursue a higher education. That should not be their reward for pursuing that, that goal.
0: Okay. Uh, first, he mentions about average debt around 39000 It's actually not. I mean, okay, that's pretty high, no doubt. But I expected it to be a lot worse than that, like hundreds of thousands. But um, $39,000 is a is a car, is a brand-new car, a pretty good car, by the way. Um but it's actually still better that's better than having a car debt because the you know your education ideally provides you a return on investment where as a car doesn't do that, a car depreciates in value and it's continuing to cost you money to pay for gas, oil change repairs, maintenance you know things like that. So the school loan is actually a return on investment, ideally. that's what it's supposed to be. you you put in this money. And ideally, you're going to get something out of it. All right. Now he says that that's money that could be put back into the economy. Well, okay. You know, playing the game of that could have been used somewhere else is not a very helpful game because that loan could have not could have not even been given. You know, that money which was probably backed by federal money, federal taxpayer dollars. So those those taxpayer dollars could have gone to something else, and that bank loan. The bank loaned that money to the student. That could have been loaned to a business entrepreneur to start a business. So that, I mean, there's so many other ways that that money could be used. Um, So, but to play the what if game is not particularly helpful. It's it's really an emotional argument to try to get something accomplished, to get your agenda accomplished. Um, He says that debt should not be their reward for pursuing higher education. Well, this is not it's not a sports competition here. You're not getting a ribbon here. This is not a participation trophy. It's not a reward. Okay, you know, good job Billy. You did so well. Here's your reward. And that's that entitlement idea that we have in our culture that everything is a reward. No, a paycheck's not a reward. A paycheck is a paycheck. You earn what you worked for. And with regards to debt, it's not a reward. It's an investment. You go into debt because you think that doing so will lead to a better outcome in the future, okay? So that's why you go into debt for a particular education or a particular degree or, or whatever. Because you think it's worth it. You think the juice is worth the squeeze, all right? If you didn't think that, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't put yourself in a worse position for no reason. Uh, a worse temporary position, a worse position today. For no reason or no benefit tomorrow. So it's not a reward. Um, And that kind of language is is really that entitlement concept in our culture. Let's continue.
1: After all, these are the Pennsylvanians who are going to become our doctors and nurses. They're going to become our teachers. They're going to be the ones who design our buildings and fly our planes. We want these Pennsylvanians to be well educated. We want them to be prepared for their future. We want them to stay in Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Now I, I agree with that. Like we want them to be educated too. That's true. But what's the, what's the solution? See, we still need to talk about what's the best way, the most cost efficient way to educate them and to get quality, uh, doctors, nurses, teachers, engineers, and, and pilots. And and a lot of those, uh, jobs that he just described do have a good return on investment. You can make a decent amount of money in all of those jobs. Um, with with that initial investment uh, into an, a higher education, so okay, fair enough. But again, what is the method, the best method of doing that? Let's continue.
1: That's those are the things that we want, and right now we're losing many of our best and brightest students to other states, and that's having a detrimental detrimental effect on all of us. So I want to provide more opportunities for Pennsylvanians to get a college education without getting the crippling debt that goes along with it too often. And I want to do it in a way that encourages students, talented, creative students, to build their lives right here in Pennsylvania. That's why I'm proposing the Nellie Bly Scholarship Program. This is a needs-based tuition program that's going to help students cover the real costs of college, including room and board, books, supplies, and graduation expenses.
0: Okay, before he goes into the details on this Nellie Bly Scholarship Fund, I want to mention a few things about the PA state system of higher education he mentioned the, the Pashi system because this is going to be applicable to to what he's just what he's going to say uh, very soon so so what that is is the Pashi schools are state run schools there's 14 of them in Pennsylvania the schools are owned and run by the government by the state government they are run by 20 there's a 20 there's a member board of governors and the board of governors determines the educational policy and the fiscal policy that includes expenditures, salaries, tuition costs, things like that. And 11 of these members are appointed by the governor. They have to be confirmed by the Senate of Pennsylvania, but they're appointed by the governor. 3 of them are students, 4 of them are legislators so they they come from the General Assembly, and the governor himself is on the board and the secretary of education. So this is a government run operated and owned system of schools, 14 of them. And so that, I want you to keep that in mind as you listen to his plan. So let's take a look.
1: To be eligible, a student at one of our 14 pashi schools needs to agree to live in Pennsylvania for the same number of years that they receive the stipend. If they decide to leave Pennsylvania before that point, then the tuition converts automatically to a loan. To pay for this program, I'm proposing that we redirect $199 million in taxpayer money that's already been uh, expended from the Pennsylvania Racehorse Development Trust Fund. I don't know about you, but I'd rather bet on the future of our students uh, than subsidize out-of-state racehorse owners. Okay. Now, we need to take a
0: few minutes here, because when I heard that, I'm like, what is that? What What is the racehorse fund? The racehorse development fund? But okay so and I'll I'll put the uh, the link to the websites and the articles in the show notes for this as well so he he says we're gonna take this money taking about 200 million dollars from the PA racehorse development trust fund okay and use it for the Nellie Bly scholarship fund all right well what is that what is the horse development fund well if you look at title 4 statutes on amusement in Pennsylvania the Pennsylvania Constitution, statutes, and, and government. This trust fund was created by the government of Pennsylvania. So they created this trust fund, and how they fund it, where it gets its money, is they take 10% uh, of a cut of revenue from slot machines in the state of Pennsylvania at casinos. Now, it could be any casino. The casino could, could have racehorsing or, or not. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. But whatever slot machine revenues come in, 10% of those go to the government directly. Now, it could be as high as 12% uh, based on the um, the gaming commission can determine, you know, based on the revenues and whatnot. So but it can go up as high as 12%, but it's 10, um, I believe right now. Now, every year, I think, I think it's every year, this fund collects about $240 million. So this money all came from gambling, from Pennsylvania taxpayers gambling their hard-earned money. And the government takes 10% of that and here's this fund. And so it's about $240 million. That's how much this fund has. And it's supposed to be used for only horse racing-related items. So I guess, you know, horse racing is big in Pennsylvania, and the government has decided that it needs to subsidize horse racing. Okay. When you look at the, the title, Title 4, you look at Section uh, 1405.1. It's a lot of jargon here, but I'm going to read this section. The daily assessments collected or received by the department relating to the Pennsylvania Race Development Trust Fund are not funds of the Commonwealth. The daily assessment shall be paid by the state treasurer as directed by the department to each active and operating Category 1 licensee conducting live racing. Okay, The Commonwealth shall not be rightfully entitled to any money described under the section and sections 1405-1406. So basically, this money is meant only for horse racing related activities. It's not the Commonwealth's money. It's not the government's money. They're just managing it. They're just organizing it or distributing the money, okay? But it's not theirs. You can't do whatever you want with this money per the actual statute itself in in the government legislation. Now, Wolf's new budget proposal with this $200 Two hundred million dollars. I don't think he goes into specific details here. I found them somewhere else, but basically, a hundred and sixty million dollars is going to be taken from from winnings. So this money from the horse racing fund, this two hundred forty roughly million dollars to this horse racing trust fund. This trust fund it pays out money uh, to ho- all horse race relating activities, but that includes winnings, by the way. So when you bet on a horse race, the winnings come from this. PA Horse Race Development Trust Fund. So it's weird, right? Because people gamble at the slot machines. Government takes some of that money, puts it in a big treasure chest, and then when people gamble on horse racing, some of the money from that treasure chest is given to them. So it's just this weird circle of gambling and winnings and more gambling and more winnings. Nothing good can come from that. But anyways, $30 million goes to breeding horses. All right. So you got to get new you got to get more horses, right? And then about 9 million dollars goes to horse drug testing because you know those horses, they can't be on performance enhancing drugs. It needs to be fair, which I agree with, but you need drug testing on these horses. So 9 million dollars to test these horses for opioids or muscle enhancers or whatever it is. So that's that's around 200 million dollars. So basically money that would go to making new horses that would go to testing, drug testing horses, and that would go to paying people who won the bet on horse racing or, or winnings, uh, I guess maybe winnings to the horse and the, and the owner of the horse and the, and the rider of the horse and those who bet on the horse, so whatever, all those things. Uh, all that money is going to be taken from the Horse Racing Development Trust Fund and given to this new Nellie Bly Scholarship Fund. What's interesting about Governor Wolf's proposal is about four years ago, in 2017, he signed a horse racing reform bill, because, you know, horse racing needs to be performed, of course, that's a, that's a joke, to protect the money from being used for other purposes. So he signed a bill four years ago that explicitly protected that money from being used for any other purpose. And here's what it says in the bill. It says this, if any funds from the Pennsylvania Racehorse Development Trust Fund are diverted, redirected, taken, or allocated for any purpose other than the purposes authorized under this section, the General Assembly shall, within 30 days, restore all of the money that has been diverted, redirected, taken, or allocated for any other purpose than those proposed or allowed. So if the money is basically stolen, the General Assembly has 30 days to restore it. It needs to go back you're not allowed to take the money out and use it for whatever you want to. It's not the Commonwealth's money, as the original statute has declared. And so it's it's interesting that Governor Wolf here says that he would rather subsidize our students than racehorse owners. And by the way, I am against both. There's no reason for the government to be subsidizing horse racing, for goodness sakes, that's ridiculous, and subsidizing students. And so that's the that's the problem is that it shouldn't be either one of them, okay? Like, it's, and it's weird because he's saying, yeah, he would rather subsidize students. But to do that, he would have to break the very amendment that he signed four years ago, promising not to use that money for other purposes. But he's going to do it now. So I just think that's just strange and, and quite immoral and very irresponsible. But anyways, um, that's kind of the background to the PA Horse Racing Development Uh, trust fund. So now, you know, and uh, hopefully you're just as much frustrated at it as I am. All right, let's continue.
1: If we invest in our students, we will build a brighter future for our commonwealth, for all of us. And it's more important now than ever that we make this investment. Many Pennsylvania families are struggling because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they don't have the resources to pay for a college education. But our passionate and dedicated students still need and deserve those opportunities. And we want them to have those opportunities. There's that entitlement
0: concept again. They still need and deserve those opportunities. Okay, well, the pandemic, again, here we go again. You contributed to the problem, government, because you shut things down. And then you're coming in on your white horse saying, aha, here we are to save the day. You know, you, you deserve those opportunities. You don't deserve any of that. Okay, you have the opportunity. That's fine, but, you know, who says you deserve it? Where does this
1: entitlement come
0: from? You know, so, no, that doesn't, that's not right. And and that's the kind of language that gets us into trouble.
1: The scholarship program will lower barriers for students and will improve access to education. In fact, we figure the estimate is that about 44,000 students will benefit from this program. This is a good program for our Apache schools because it will encourage enrollment. It's a good program for our communities, which will see an increase in the number of young Pennsylvanians who choose to stay in Pennsylvania, and it's a good program for our PASHE students who will have the weight of financial worry lifted off their shoulders so that they can focus exclusively on their studies. So thank you, and now I'm going to turn this over. Okay, well, so they can
0: focus on just their studies and have the weight of financial worry off of their backs. Look, I get it. That's, you know, as a parent, sure, you do want to make things easier for your children. But at the same time, you want them to grow. You want them to bear burdens. They have to. They have to bear their own burdens. You cannot eliminate all burdens on people. And and I get like in the perfect world, you just focus on your studies. Well, there's an argument to be, to be made that you need some skin in the game, that um, you need to be responsible as well, and that if you are putting forth your own money and you're going into debt, that it should drive you to be very careful and serious about what you're doing and about your own success. So, an argument can be made both ways, and it's basically an emotional or psychological argument. You know, on the one hand, you don't want, you know, you want everyone to just focus on their their studies and not have to worry about anything. All things taken care of. Okay, yeah. I can see that. But on the other the other end of the spectrum, You want people to have a bit of skin in the game so that they are responsible. So that really comes down to a matter of taste, but you shouldn't make policy based on taste. Okay, so that's not—I don't think it's a good argument because I wouldn't wouldn't use either argument as my primary argument for one way or the other. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that the reason why students should have no help— um, at all, is because um, we want them to feel the, the pressure to to succeed and do well. No, that's not it at all. The principle behind it is, is it the government's job, number one, to subsidize education? Number two, is it effective and is it efficient? Does it work? Is it making college more affordable or less? Time has seemed to shown that it's making it worse because it's, we've been subsidizing education for a while now. And then, Third, education has to be viewed as a return on investment, okay? I, don't, I wouldn't want someone to go into debt, you know, just to give themselves pressure. You know, you don't do that. You only want them to go into debt because they absolutely have to and because it's a wise decision. It's going to return an investment upon them, okay? They need to make those decisions. They need to think about it before they dive on in, and that's the problem here. So, And, and I want to bring up one other thing before we move on to the next section is that, remember, all of this, this Nellie Bly scholarship, it's only for the pashi schools. So, so get this. It's government-run schools. Well, hold on a second. The government runs these schools. The government uh, owns them and operates them. So the government decides fiscal policy on these schools, how much tuition costs, how much to pay people. So I don't understand that. If, if it's run by the government, why can't you just lower your costs? Like, you, you run the school. You're on the board, Governor Wolf, of, of the Pashy school board. Why don't you just lower the cost of tuition and other things, cut costs other places? But it's weird how you're going to take government money, basically acquired by gambling, which hurts the, the, the most vulnerable people in our population. So you're taking the money from gambling, and you're going to take that money, that's hard-earned money from the taxpayers that they unwisely used in gambling, but you're going to take that money that you were going to use for horses for horse gambling, horse race gambling, okay? And now you're going to take that money and you're going to use it only for government-run schools, not for private schools or any other schools, but schools that you run and that you own and operate. So I that does not pass the smell test for me and it it just it's really weird and I don't see the reason for it. Like you need more government money to make the cost of the government schools Lower, even though the government runs those schools and could lower the costs if they wanted to, so the whole thing is just craziness. And uh, I think there's a lot of bad arguments being put forth in this proposal, and so and it's just going to be very, very unwise and unhelpful. Now he's going to introduce uh, Lori Carter from Shippensburg University. I, I listened to what she had to say. You can listen to what she has to say on the video. Uh, I'm not going to play it here because it doesn't really add anything. To the conversation. So, what I want to do is go to uh, Sam Bowen. He is a student at Edinburgh University, and so he was brought on to the to the program uh, by Governor Wolf to to give his personal perspective as a as a student. So, let's listen to what he has to say.
2: Thank you, President Carter. Hello, my name is Sam Bowen. I am an English major at Edinburgh University. And I'm very excited to say that I will be graduating in May. When I graduate, I will take many things from my time at Edinburgh with me. I will take the friendships I have made and the lessons I have learned. And I will also take over $40,000 in student debt. I believe in higher education and I know that it is essential to achieving ambitious goals in today's world. I also believe that college students should be allowed to dream ambitiously and that this is a unique time in our lives when the whole world is in front of us. Unfortunately, the harsh reality for many of us is that our student debt will ultimately shape who we will become. Take my school, Edinburgh, for example. Here we have an outstanding English department and a terrific art program.
0: Okay, first, before he goes into that... uh... When you, He mentioned that uh, he's an English major, and I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be mean here, but that might have been his first mistake, just saying, and he's going to take $40,000 in debt because of that. Okay, again, this comes down to return on investment. You need to do your research and your due diligence before you go to college and to think about what you want to study, and you need to count the cost before you do it. Like, what will it take? For me to do this, I mean, people do this with any decision that they make, including buying a house or even starting a business. So, if you want to start a business, you would have to take a look. Okay, what do I want to do? I want to, I want to be a, I want to do a landscaping business. Okay, all right. What's it going to cost? I need to buy this, that, and the other thing. I need to get repairs done. Fuel. Uh, I need this gear. I need to advertise. Uh, get marketing out there. All these things. Business cards. Okay. Well, you count the cost and then. You think about and and work through, okay, how am I going to make money? Like, is it worth the effort to to do this? Getting a business license, uh, going through all the the bureaucratic red tape and the hoops uh, to to do what I want to do. So these are things that you have to keep in mind. Um, You can't just jump on in and not think about the consequences and ask yourself, is it worth it? All right, maybe there's other ways he could have learned English at other schools, online, community school, whatever the case may be. He could, have, he could have joined the military. He could have joined the National Guard of Pennsylvania and gotten his education paid for after just a few years of service. So there's so many other options here, uh, and, and there's plenty of opportunities uh, in life. And I understand the desire to dream ambitiously, but it's not about dreams here. We're not in dreamland or dream world. Um, the harsh reality is that your debt will shape you, that's that's what happens. The borrower is slave to the lender. You live in reality, you live in God's world, and you can't just do whatever you want to do. Okay? There's limitations. I can't I can't be an NBA basketball player. I don't have the skills. I don't have the height. I'm not able to do that. It's just not in the cards for me. That's not that's not God's plan for my life at this point, as far as I know. So the point is that you can't just do whatever you want. You are constrained by so many factors, your health, Your background, the culture you grew up in, the country that you live in, the climate, everything. Everything constrains you, and that's all right. That's part of God's plan, and you can't buck against that. You have to work and live within that, and you you can't just do whatever you want. Um, When he mentioned uh, English major, I could not help but think of the movie Groundhog Day. For those of you who may have uh, watched that movie with Bill Murray, it's quite hilarious, and I highly recommend it but it's an old movie. Um, but anyways, there's, this, there's a scene in Groundhog Day where Bill Murray's character is talking to uh, a co-worker, who's a woman, and uh, they're there's having a drink at the bar, and he asks her what she studied, uh, what she wanted to do when she was in college. And she said, uh, quote, uh, believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry, end quote. And then he laughs and says, what a waste of time. <laughs> and it's pretty funny because he's like a... He's a rude character. Uh, he's just kind of full of himself, and he has to learn some life lessons before he uh, moves on in the movie. But it is... That's the whole point, though, right? Like, 19th century French poetry. What a waste of time. I mean, yeah, you have to be careful about the things you study in, in college, what you're going to put yourself into debt for. Um, if you're going in to study underwater basket weaving, you know, things like that, it's not worth the debt. You need to count the cost. And I'm not saying that getting an English degree is bad or stupid. No, not at all. But you have to count the cost. I don't think it's as bad as getting a degree in 19th century French poetry, but you can study those things without going to college, by the way. And that's one thing to keep in mind. So let's continue uh, with what Sam has to say.
2: And I want every student who wants to become a writer or a poet or an artist to to be able to chase those dreams.
0: Okay, now, uh, hold on a second. He wants everyone who wants to become a poet, writer, artist to chase those dreams. You do not need to go to a college to do that. I mean, think about that. Think about the greatest writers, authors, and poets, and artists in history, in the world. Uh, How many of them actually went to college to do that? I don't know the numbers. I can't imagine it's that many because, I mean, many of them— existed before there were that many colleges and universities and I don't think they needed to go there to be a poet or to be a writer or or an artist I mean that that's just that's unnecessary and I don't know where that argument is coming from Um, everyone thinks you have to go to college to do anything and that's that's not true so I just needed to point that out uh, there I think that's a that's a very bad argument
2: however many of us end up in different fields the problem is we are forced to choose a major based on practicality because we are forced to choose a major based on our student debt.
0: Okay, and that is because you live in God's world. You are forced to choose a major based on practicality, the market. It's a return on investment. You can't just do whatever you want. Okay, and there's there's costs to any decision that you make. Your debt, you choose the path, and your debts choose the path for us. It's But it's a return on investment. You, you, you just have to understand that. You can't just go along willy-nilly without any consequences and you have to think through your actions before you do them.
2: Many times, instead of choosing our own paths, our student debts choose our paths for us.
0: But you chose to go into debt. That's what you chose. And you have to live with the decision that you've made. You knew going in, that's what it would cost you. Okay, so I, I just don't understand this argumentation here.
2: And on top of that, Many of my peers and myself have worked our way through college. Many of us spend our days in class and our nights at a job just so we can afford rent and the books that we need for our classes. Personally, I've worked a job all the way through school and that money goes almost entirely to my car insurance and the gas that I need for my daily commute, which are expenses that student loans do not cover. It's a lot of hard work and work that I am happy to do but work that results with me still owing $40,000 in student loans.
0: And all of that is part of the cost that you have to calculate. You you knew going into this that you would have to work, that you would have to get a car, get insurance, get gas, do oil changes, get maintenance. Um, you have to eat food. You have to have clothing. So I, I would hope that your parents would have sat down with you before you went to college and worked through all this with you. You don't just... Dive in head first and hope for the best. Like, hope is not a plan. And you have to count the cost before you do something like this. And if you, if you fail to count the cost, you have to live with those concerns. It's not the government that's going to bail you out. The government cannot be uh, the mom and the dad that bails you out. If anything, if you need help, you would go to your family, you would go to your local church, you would ask for help. Like, even the proverb says you know, you go to that person, you plead for them, you go to the bank. You ask for uh, t- to change something, but you change your ways. Maybe you maybe you drop out and you say, you know what, this is a bad investment. I need to cut my costs. You drop out. You enter the military. You enter the National Guard. Uh, yeah, you got a little bit of debt there, but then you get you get a job. You get paid. You get some skills and you get some experience, and then you can get the government to pay for your uh, your college through uh, your service uh, in the military or something like that. You get some tuition assistance. Uh, there's plenty of programs. Uh, the GI Bill, post 911 11 GI Bill, there are so many other ways. And there's probably other avenues, other career paths that provide um, education there. Uh, maybe some businesses that you, if you were to work for would help uh, provide for your education. So there's so many other options. Community college you can start out with to learn English. So there's many other options here. We don't have to rely on the state to take gambling money from taxpayers and money that should have been used for the horses (laughs) and and basically break the rules in order to to do this. Let's continue.
2: Graduating college should be a time filled with optimism. Graduates should be able to bet on themselves, whether that means starting a
0: business. So instead of betting on horses, we should be betting on ourselves. Well, it's not a bet though. This is not a gamble. When you go to college, you're not gambling. You should, It's a return on investment. You should be planning ahead,
2: or buying a home, or furthering their education. Instead, it is a time when generally we have to take a job that will give us a chance to start paying off our loan.
0: So, in other words, you have to take a job that makes money. Yes, that's true. Again, you don't go to college for no reason. I've said it before that look, but is that's a very, very silly argument. Like, you have to take a job that makes money and pays off your debt. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. You're, you're going in the debt today for improved life tomorrow, so you need to make some money to do that. The
2: Nellie Bly college tuition program would be incredibly helpful to students at state schools. Because of how expensive college is, many times students choose state schools because they are a more affordable option. These are great students at great schools all across Pennsylvania, and many of us want to stay in state because Pennsylvania is our home, and we want to help improve this state. However, because of the debt that we graduate with, we are forced to take jobs all across the country simply so we can start making our loan payments all the time. I, for one, want to stay in Pennsylvania when I graduate. I want to be part of the future of this Commonwealth, and the Nellie Bly program would reward me for staying home, and I think that is absolutely incredible. So I think that we should bet on the students of our state schools. This program would allow these students to truly be our future. And with that, I know Pennsylvania will be in very good hands.
0: Okay, so we're not going to go on to the next speaker. Again, there's not much that, that comes in the next uh, section. But he says you're forced to take jobs across the country. Well, okay, that's the market. You You want to stay in Pennsylvania. If you want to stay in that location, you have to plan for that. You have to count the cost. You have to look into, okay, what's the cost of living? What's the cost of houses? Maybe maybe it's better for your future and your family to get educated here and then get a job that pays more numerical dollars, you know, I don't know, California or something like that. And then that's why people retire. Uh, after they retire, they go to other states. They go to places where the cost of living is lower. It could be Florida, it could be Alabama, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. It could be anything uh, like that. So, I'm glad you want to be a Pennsylvanian. But if you're going to restrict yourself that way, then that means your options are less and you're going to have to be even more diligent in your counting the cost and return on investment. But if you open up yourself to the whole market of the United States, then your options increase because there's so many more markets, right? So again, it comes down to everything constrains us. If you grow up in Nebraska and you want to be a lobster fisherman, well, you're, you can't stay in Nebraska and do that, more than likely. You're going to have to go someplace where the lobsters are, and that might be a higher cost of living. Okay, so you need to count all that. That's all part of the plan here. That's all part of the calculation. So I, I just think that just because parents and students did a poor job planning ahead, it's not the government's job to clean up the mess. And certainly it's not the government's job to do it by... Collecting money from gambling, which only hurts really the poor and those who can't afford it. We shouldn't be subsidizing horse racing. We shouldn't be using slot machines to pay for this kind of stuff. And certainly, um, if you're going to have horse racing and you pass a law that says you can't take that money and use it for other purposes, well, then you can't do that. You you can't just steal the money because you feel it's necessary, that you feel it's bad, then why did you sign that document in the first place? Why are you doing this? So this is an example of bad government. And what really bothers me the most is the fact that this money, this Nellie Blythe money, is money taken by the government through gambling revenues. It's government money being used for government schools. I don't understand why that needs to be the case. And, and I imagine that uh, Sam Bowen is going to one of those pashi schools. Instead of getting a scholarship, why don't they just pay for his room and board and his food? Why don't they just lower the costs? I don't get that. I mean, it's run by the government, that school. Anyways, that's really all I wanted to talk about today. Uh, so again, we need to think about these things. We need to think about the issues of gambling and going to debt and education. And, and I think there is a better way of doing things than just punting it to the government. I really think that we need to, to uh, do research onto that. Uh, there's a better way than just uh, just increasing the size, strength, and scope of, uh, of government. Anyways, I hope that you found this episode of the podcast uh, useful. And a blessing to you. Um, again, if you have any questions, please email me at the Podcast at gmail.com or go on Facebook, Twitter, all those places. If you want to support me, you can go to patreon.com and uh, look up Governed by God and become a monthly supporter. We greatly appreciate that. And so I look forward to having you here next time. And so until then, take care and.